Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy. Available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome in to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnata back with you guys as always. The quarantine interview series continuing here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. And today we welcome in a guy that was a quarterback for the Tar Heels during the early 1980s. It's Scott Stankavich who is with us. And uh, great to have you with us. I know uh, we're going through what is just a, a very weird time in, in the history of the United States. Uh, it's a time where, you know, we're having to kind of bond together and, and, and find a way to, you know, listen to what, what, what everybody's telling us for, for the better good and, and stay inside. So how, how are you holding up and, and how's your family doing as well? We're doing great considering everything, so I uh, really appreciate you reaching out and, and being on the podcast and speaking of fellow Tar Heels, but our family's great. I um, have three adult children and two grandsons, and uh, the two daughters are living in Charlotte and taking care of those boys, and uh, my son, Sean, who was a football quarterback at Vanderbilt, and then he got to play at Rice mm-hmm. as a graduate transfer uh he ended up back in nashville in commercial real estate so he's in a little bit of self-quarantine uh and working uh, out of the office and then i'm holed up here at the beach with uh my wonderful wife kate and uh my three kiddos uh, that are 10 10 and 8 and so we have pretty much nobody in and nobody out and <laughs> it's just us for the past month so we're we're learning to uh be patient with each other in ways we've never been before but we're happy to do our part and uh you know realize that we'll get through this we we as a country we as a state uh we as a family we'll we'll get through this we'll get through it together 
Yeah, no, I mean, uh, very well said. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the same thing here. I mean, yeah, we're learning uh, a few things that uh, kind of we didn't know sort of uh, ticked us off a little bit about our families, but that's all good. That's all good. We'll get back to just normally ignoring our families like we used to once we get through all of this. But, uh, you know, but uh, let's look at some of some of the, you know, times uh, where, where we did have sports. Uh, and, you know, let's turn it back to the 1980s. You know, your first year in Chapel Hill was the 1980 season, which was just a phenomenal year, one of the best in Tar Heel football history. During that season, and, and really just during your time on camp, campus you were there during a time where everything was just so amazing because you had the football team playing so well the basketball team was playing extremely well as well I mean you know you had the the heyday of uh, of James Worthy Michael Jordan on campus so what was it like to be on campus during that time how much buzz was there going about campus because I feel like that was one of the rare times where really both the big sports on campus synced up to have uh, phenomenal success. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And, and those of us from that era, not only the athletes, but the student body and you know the recent alumni look back on that as uh, maybe the heyday or the glory days or, or, or there's something special there because uh, the, the basketball team with Michael and Sam and Matt and James and Jimmy Black and they won the national championship in 82 uh, in 81 we were ranked second in the country as a football team mm-hmm. ended up losing to Clemson there 10-8 at our place uh, Clemson went on to win the national championship so we thought we would talk to the basketball players you know about the idea that we could both win a national championship the same year and uh, I don't I think the only team that's done that is Florida in subsequent years but we were the first ones to think about it or at least uh, but the great thing was you're talking about a women's swim team ranked in the top three in the country right. we're talking about John Inman and Davis Love and Jack Nicholas uh, and I, we, we, one of those guys won the national championship player of the year in golf, and our golf team was ranked, right? Anson Doran started the dynasty of women's soccer at that time, and he also coached men's soccer, which was pretty good. Willie Scruggs had the lacrosse program in multiple national championship games and won a game with Tommy Sears and Peter Volk and Randy Cox and uh, Mark Mallman and all those guys. All those, I think, were all Americans. So, uh, you look at baseball, you had B.J. Serhoff and Walt Weiss and Scott Bradley. You know, those are all, you know, 10 and 15-year pros. Scott Bankhead. So the buzz on campus and in the cafeteria and in the dorms and at every sporting event, the women's team won the national championship with Sylvia Haschel. Uh, you know, somewhere in there in the, in the late 80s or early 90s with Charlotte mm-hmm. Smith. Yep. So... The University of North Carolina, we called ourselves the University of National Champions. So I I love that you brought that up, and it was a very special time. And all of those athletes really stay in touch with each other and respect each other and, and it'll take you know half a sentence for us to get back in hey remember the days it's a special time in chapel hill yeah that's awesome to hear you know i mean especially with the fact that you know it seems like nowadays it, the, the athletes just really aren't as close with each other as you guys sounded um you know i i think 
we're still considered in, in most people's minds the University of National Champions. And I think that, you know, in the next couple of years with where Mac Brown has taken the football program, I think, you know, you still got some historical legendary coaches that are hanging around. Anson Dorrance is still there. Mike Fox still coaching the baseball team. Um, I, I feel like the direction of the women's basketball program under Courtney Banghart is, is, is going in the right direction. I think eventually it could get back there. But man, just hearing you talk about that is, is so is so amazing. It sounds like just such an unbelievable time to be on campus. And me being a huge sports nerd, I think I would have fit right in. I would have been the guy that would have been the nerd writing down all the stats that had no, you know, has no idea what you guys are going through because I wouldn't play. But uh, I would still be the guy that would be like, man, I, this this is this is awesome. But uh, you know, let's get back to the football field. And you know, your first couple of years on campus, you got to play under a guy that. I just feel like a lot of people don't talk about him um, when it comes to the great quarterbacks on campus. Rod Elkins was a guy that was extremely talented, of course, led the 80 and 81 team to a combined 21 wins in, in those two years. Of course, you helped a little bit, but you know, how much were you able to learn just from working with him in your first couple of years on campus? Yeah, he was a tremendous athlete and tremendous quarterback and tremendous leader. And I remember uh, I played maybe half of that 81, or no, three games in 81 and then half of the 82 and then 83 as my senior year. But he was a guy I looked up to immediately as soon as I got on campus because of athleticism, his toughness, his leadership. You know, there's another guy that actually had the starting job named Chuck Sharp. And Chuck got injured in the first game of the fall in 1980, and Rod took over, and then I was the backup. Uh, Steve Studer was probably more the backup than I was because as a freshman, I wasn't ready to play. Uh, but Rod was a great athlete. That's the greatest compliment I can give him and have given him is I had a chance as a free agent after my Carolina quarterback career to go out and make the team with the Denver Broncos. And I was behind guy named Sean Elway, uh, and I was actually behind another guy named Gary Kubiak, who was the backup, and I was slotted as that third quarterback, and I was on and off the roster, but I wrote a letter to Rod in the middle of that season, and I said, Rod, who was a very close friend of mine, uh, I said, if you had not gotten injured with that those knee injuries that had him in and out of the lineup, you have the talent that John Elway has. I know that's a big statement. I know I'm probably the only one that ever said it, but I'm talking about 6'2", 2'10". You know, both those guys had big bow chests and were kind of not neat. They, they had their hands kind of, their palms kind of face to the back when they walked, and they both hit baseballs and were great, great baseball players. Hit base, They hit the ball left-handed. They threw right-handed. They used the, you know, that snuff chewing tobacco. They wore their baseball cap backwards, and they were just good old country boys that were just dripping with athleticism. And, you know, had Rod Elkins not gotten hurt, you know, he might have been one of the greatest in Carolina history and probably would have had himself an NFL career that we'd still be talking about. That's how much respect I have for Rod Elkins. Well, another guy that you mentioned there, and I, I hadn't even really wrote him down, but Steve Schreeder is a guy that literally you see him everywhere in those record books over that that span from the early 80s to about the mid 80s. How special an athlete was he? Because he was on the defensive side of the ball. One year, I remember he had five interceptions. He also punted, and you said that he was potentially even the backup quarterback. How special of an athlete was he? Well, he, he was a, a great athlete. You know, you, you have to be 
a great athlete by any standard to be, you know, on the field as a starting player, of let course. alone, you know, all conference in the ACC or even any major college. I mean, the athleticism is, is incredible. But when you're named all conference and when you're named all conference in two positions, I think he was all conference as a safety and led. He was on the team with Lawrence Taylor and Calvin Daniels, and Dean Schapper and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Donnell Thompson. Right. And, and, uh, right. Greg, uh, uh, my, my buddy Rod's up, but we had defensive backs and linemen mm-hmm. and defensive ends. Of course, LT was an icon. He's Michael Jordan of, of, of football, right? Uh, you know, and Streeter is the leader of that. You talk to any of those guys on that team, uh, he was a shit talking. <laughs> excuse me. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> he, he was. He was the verbal leader. <laughs> And he would taunt you, and he would taunt the opponent, and he would taunt the scout team, and he would taunt the freshmen. He was the undisputed leader of that football. You know that team in 1980 was 11-1, and and the right. only team we lost to was Oklahoma out there. Yep. And we lost big. The game kind of got away from us. Uh, and they had some special things for Lawrence Taylor and that great defense, some very, very innovative ways to block him. And then we weren't ready for that speed and that option. But we were 11 and 1, finished ninth in the country, beat Texas in the Blue Bonnet Bowl. So, mm-hmm. and Steve Streeter was the undisputed, absolute leader of that football team. Tremendous athlete, would have been a pro punter. I think he, I think he was a free agent. Uh, as a punter with the with the Redskins, and I believe that was actually coming home from there where his accident happened, and that terrible tragedy didn't get paralyzed. But mm-hmm. Steve Streeter's one of the all-time greats at the University of North Carolina, no question. Yeah, and that's amazing to think about. Yeah, as you mentioned, all those guys that he played with, including LT, to be that big of a force on that team was amazing. And you know, you look at the the defensive side of the ball, but you had some great guys on the offensive side of the ball that helped you, especially you know when you started to take over in in, in that '82 season and '83 season. Um, and it, you know, you had guys around you like Ethan Horton, who was a great running back, Tyrone Anthony, who could kind of help you with with running the ball and catching the ball, and then Mark Smith, the wide receiver, who I just don't think gets as much respect for how good of a player he was at the time uh, when passing was, you know, still a, it, it was becoming more popular, but running the football was what was still sexy and won games on offense. What was it like to have so much talent around you to help you um, and, and, and to, you know, not only, you know, I mean, you'd not put all the pressure on you. Yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the things that made Rod Elkins so great is that he could make plays you know, outside of the scheduled play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that wasn't my greatest skill set. Uh, he, he was, you know, very mobile and, and very unpredictable and threw well on the run. We were as good as anybody in the country and right up there with Clemson and Georgia mm-hmm. at running the football. Our, our line coach was John Masco, who was also the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. and running back coach uh, was Randy Walker. Uh, Cleet Bryant was the quarterback coach. And we had John Heimbach was the wide receiver. I mean, we had an unbelievable staff. If you want to talk about the decline of our program under Coach Crump, who was a tremendous coach who gets not near the respect he deserves. Right. But what really happened was all of those assistants were recruited away. And maintaining that high level of assistance is, is something that amazes me about Nick Saban in Alabama or how they do it at Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennessee hasn't been able to do it, and they've fallen off. 
South Carolina, not as much either. But right. those guys that replace their assistants with equal quality up-and-coming assistants, that's what makes them great. And that's what Coach Crum wasn't able to do late in the 80s. And, you know, no disrespect to Coach Crum, but those high-quality assistants were that's – what the, that's what the program was built on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Marston over on defense, Chuck Prefer and Larry Marmee. And, I mean, just these names are all coming back to me. But – we were so good at running the football. We had 2,000-yard rushers, yep. Amos Lawrence in 80, and a young man, and Kelvin Bryant yeah. the same year. The next year, we had 2,000-yard rushers, and they were Kelvin Bryant and the number two draft pick for the New Orleans Saints, my, uh, uh, the guy in my class, Tyrone Anthony. The next year, right. we brought in a guy named Ethan Horton, and he was the All-American quarterback. And he was going to come in and replace me at quarterback. He's big dynamic. He was too good at running back against Maryland. We put him in at running back. And, you know, he ended up changing the game. And he and Tyrone were 1,000-yard rushers. Yep. And then the next year, uh, it was Ethan. And I think they had William Looms in the backfield with him. So the pride of our offense was getting 2,000 yards on the ground by two different men. And we wanted people to know that we will run this ball you can know where we're going and we're still going to successfully run it at you and here's the last and this comment i'll make mm-hmm. on the left tackle was brian blados then we had a guy named greg Marin. then we had a guy named harris barton who was a freshman then we had a guy named joe conwell and we had a guy named willie austin now except for willie all those guys were draft picks in the nfl now on that 80 team it was ron wooten and it was Rick Donnelly, and it was Dave yeah. Drexler. Now, all those guys were drafted in the first three rounds of the NFL. Then we had a tight end named Arnold Franklin yep. and another uh, Sheldon Robinson, right? So we were loaded running the football, and that was the form of our success. Now, why we got beat is because we were not very advanced at throwing the ball. And Maryland won the national championship, and they beat us with Boomer Sykes and a guy named Bobby Ross. Right. They were ahead of the curve throwing the ball. And my senior year, we started to get excess what I was good at, was a short, quick passing game and read things really quickly and mm-hmm. getting the ball out of the pocket. Uh, you know, I wasn't the greatest athlete, didn't have the strongest arm, but I was pretty smart, knew where to throw it, was very accurate. So mm-hmm. they changed the game a little bit, and that's where our offense, uh, you know, and, and the Carolina offense. I think you need to be balanced now. We weren't balanced, but we were great at running the ball. Well, yeah, I mean, quick, short passing game, really. I mean, they say that the dink and dunk game doesn't work, but as we've seen, there are guys that can sort of perfect it. And, I mean, look, you set the program record at the time, your senior year for passing yards. So, I mean, yeah, you did a phenomenal job of of sort of adjusting and and sort of bringing that passing game for a team in 1983 that did have one of the better overall offenses in in the country. I don't think people really realize that. Um, we, we, what happened right. to us in 1983 was, you know, we, we were we were all freshmen on that Lawrence Taylor team that was 11 and one. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, we were literally expected to and competing for the national championship, and we were heartbroken on national TV. Air Force did the game on ABC with uh, uh, Bill Fleming, 3:30 at Keenan Stadium, us against Clemson. We lost 10 to eight, and we were crushed. Mm-hmm. We 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 were crushed. Uh, we went on to beat Arkansas in the Gator Bowl, but we, we were crushed. Then the next year, uh, we we came out and it was in '83, and again we were ranked in the top ten in the country, and we were eight zero, and we lost a heartbreaker to Maryland. Uh, we went ninety 
seven yards in the last three minutes of the game. 28-26, we went for two. And we just, we ran a little roll out to the right. Guy came off the edge unblocked. I made a little bit of a high throw, went off Tyrone's hands. Mm -hmm. And they flooded the field, tore down the goalpost. But there's still 12 seconds left in the game. On national TV, incredible game. That broke our spirit. That broke our spirit. You know, it's been 35 years or whatever, so I can tell you, the seniors actually voted not to go to the bowl game. We were so broken spirited. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was crushing. Uh, you know, our whole career, it was crushing to us. Right. You know, Coach Crum ended up getting uh, fired in 1987. Well, this is, you know, the 83. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can track the records of all the seasons as that happened. People started to figure out our offense. You know, we right. started to be less productive. And in 83, uh, we beat everybody we should beat. And the ones that were real competitive, you know, we didn't get the job done. We were inside the 20-yard line, I think, six times against Clemson. We lost the game 16-3. to three. Mm. I think we missed three field goals. I think we could turn it over on downs. I think it threw an interception. I mean, we just didn't get it done. We were in position. And we didn't get it done. And, uh, you know, had we gotten it done, Coach Crump might have gone down on one of the, you know, like a Joe Paterno type. Uh, because he was that type of coach. He cared about his players. He was fundamentally sound, run the ball, played tough defense. You know, he treated uh, players with respect. He wasn't a rah-rah guy. You know, mm-hmm. Paterno wasn't a rah-rah guy. But he knew how to win football games. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like had I been the better player at quarterback, and I know a lot of my teammates said, we made just a couple more plays, we might have changed – you know, change the history of the program, but uh, uh, I'm happy to where it is now. I, I love talking about them, but I'm happy what the trajectory it's on now. And I think Coach Brown understood all the history we're talking about. I think he understood it. I think he played it up, and he brought the program back. He went to Texas, but now he's back, and I, I, I think he's incorporating all that history again to bring it to bear here in the in the 2020s. Yeah, and look, uh, Coach Crum, like you said, um, you know, I just don't feel like he gets the respect that that he should. Um, you know, me, I did uh, the player tiers a year ago. Um, it was a thing that was kind of trending on social media, so I figured I'd get into it. So I did head coaches as well, and I put Coach Crum and Coach Brown uh, at the time in the same tier um, because I really believe that what Coach Crum did just doesn't get the respect that. It, it deserves um, because, I mean, like you said, he got the team as close to a national championship as they've come. I know that Mac Brown had the team there uh, in the mid to late 90s, but... No, 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 no. Right. I just, I just, I don't <laughs> feel like it was... I'll probably get a letter from him, but... That hey, close, yeah. If you go back, it says, I have a headline that says, Heels, Huskers, Dogs, still ranked 3-2-1. Or, you know, went the other way. We were number three. Right. Heels, Tar Heels, Huskers, Nebraska, Dogs with Herschel Walker. That's mm-hmm. Georgia. That's, we we would come out looking at Street Smith. Where were we in the top five? Right. And we were watching the polls every week, you know, for, you know, what did Clemson do? Where were we? We were moved from, you know, four to five, from seven to four. And uh, so... <laughs> Coach Brown, in, in his first stint here, he had the program, you know, Jason Stanisak and, uh, and Chris Keldorf. I mean, he, he had, you know, he had it He had it climbing the ladder. But we were already there. We just couldn't climb. We couldn't get to the mountaintop. So uh, no disrespect to Coach Brown. I hope he doesn't take it that way or any of the guys or what he's doing. I'm just saying that early 80s, 
was in the national championship conversation every year. Yeah, and then, you know, look, after your Tar Heel career, you go on to spend four seasons in the NFL, but it wasn't just an ordinary four seasons because you got to spend time with the Broncos and with the Dolphins. And, and you you know, I mean, look at some of the guys that you got to play with and, and get coached by. I mean, you got to play with John Elway. Uh, you talked about Gary Kubiak as well, but you were coached by Mike Shanahan. You were also coached by uh, Don Shula. What was that experience like to be, you know, play to be able to play with and, and be coached by some of the greats in the history of, of what is considered the best sport maybe in, in all of America? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I pinch myself to, you know, realize that looking back. I, I've always realized that, but Mike Shanahan and a guy named Alex Gibbs, we were rookies. I, I went in as a rookie, and they were rookie coaches. They were both from college, and so they were learning the language of the NFL. They were putting in a new offense. They were learning John Elway. Gary Kubiak was always a coach. He was really smart, but I would sit at the Wendy's, uh, you know, for two or three hours in the morning and go over – you know the install with with uh, with Coach Gibbs and, and Coach Shanahan. So and uh, there's a little uh, young buck who was the ball boy uh, named Kyle. Uh, so you know my son Kyle Shanahan was a little ball boy there, and you know he was we'd always josh around with him and stuff. And uh, it was a tremendous experience. And watching how talented John was, and watching the tenacity of Dan Reeves and his competitiveness, you know, and yet. Randy Gratishar and uh, uh, Tom Jackson on defense, and, mm-hmm. and I mean, just it just had great players, and we were in contention. And we we're in the playoffs. And that was just such a credible experience, and they paid me a hundred thousand dollars to wear my baseball cap backwards and carry clipboard, and get on TV when there were timeouts, <laughs> and Delway would come to the sideline. So it was. It was unforgettable. And then, and then during the strike, I had a chance to go down to Miami, and I called Coach Shanahan. And I said, Coach, I don't want to come out to Denver. I know everybody. I don't understand the strike, and the, well, I don't. I don't understand that. I don't want to, you know, offend anybody. Uh, but Miami wants me to come down there. And Coach Shanahan said, You have a chance to go down and be coached by the greatest coach in the history of the NFL, mm-hmm. and you're going to turn it down. <laughs> uh, so I didn't turn it down. And Coach Shulman was so great. That first opening remarks to that to that team, the replacement team, was this. He said, "Men, listen. Uh, you know, we don't want to be here, and the guys outside have a point to make. But last time I checked." Uh, this is America, and you have a chance to pursue your dreams, and uh, and I'm going to coach you to win as many games as we can. I'm going to coach you just like I'm coaching all those guys outside. I respect them. I respect you. Let's get down to business. And he was exactly what you saw on TV, uh, just like Coach Reeves, just like Coach Shanahan. I mean, there was, you know, he, he called a spade a spade. He was a professional. Uh, he was a leader, and uh, I, I, I talk a lot about in, in motivational speeches and so on. I mean, those men, they could have led IBM or they could have led Nassau or they could have led a university or, you know, they were just leaders. They were leaders. They're experts in their field, but they were leaders. I took a lot away from my time under their tutelage. So I, I'm blessed and pinch myself every day. Well, once your football career finished up, it wasn't like you were done there. You went on to have a very successful 30-year real estate career. Why was that something that interested you at the time when you got out of football? Well, it was highly competitive was the first thing. And I really, uh, I knew I hated accounting. Uh, I was okay at marketing. 
uh, some people said it should have been a lawyer, and so somebody told me, well, sales, <laughs> and said you can make a little bit of money in sales, so kind of serendipitously, I ended up in commercial real estate, actually, in downtown Philadelphia, uh, I, I got an internship during my rookie year with Denver, I went back to Philly, and I really fell in love with the business, and fortunately, uh, a swimmer named Greg Sanchez, who was a swimmer in the uh, early 80s at you know, Carolina, mm-hmm. he is uh, really one of the, uh, you know, one of the icons of the industry out on I-40 and, and in and the Raleigh market. He's the one that interviewed me and gave me my first opportunity in Raleigh-Durham in commercial real estate. And so, you know, the Tario yeah. family was one of the reasons I came down from Philadelphia to go to North Carolina was because of the reputation for taking care of its own and, right. I, you know, Ivy League of the South and all that. I found that to be true. And I did get involved in real estate uh, at a time when the Raleigh-Durham market was a third-tier tertiary. You know, we were building an airport. In fact, we were building I-40. Our football team used to ride on Highway 54 all the way to the airport on Highway 54. And we, I would look out, you know, to the north of 54, some of the intersections. I could see the road, the highway being built, you know, the intersections and the globe reliefs. I was like, oh, they're building the highway. You know, I had no idea what the, what was going on. But, right. Uh, and then so I-40 opened up and, you know, you, you couldn't do what I was able to participate in in the market because now we're a second tier, nationally recognized, internationally recognized market. And right. so I had a great run in commercial real estate. Like I said, I've been blessed beyond measure. And Raleigh Durham, the University of North Carolina has been so good to me. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I just very blessed to, 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 to have come from Philadelphia and have grown up Chapel Hill and then raised six kids there. It's just an incredible, incredible thing. Well, we're blessed to have you on the podcast because that was fantastic. I've done a ton of these interviews here over the last couple of weeks, and this is definitely up there as as one of my favorites because, I mean, just hearing you, the, the way you were, were telling stories about your time on campus, that's exactly what I want to do with, with some of these interviews and, and, and hear about all the great players and, and learn about some of the history um, from, you know, a guy like me that's in his 20s that, you know, wasn't there. I can read about it in the history books and everything like that, but it's just so great to hear uh, the way you talk about it and, and the way that you talk about, you know, all the guys on the team as well. And I know that, you know, it's it's you're, you're an extremely humble guy, but know that you you had a ton of success at Carolina. You're one of those guys that when we look back at the early 80s, you're a name that pops up and a lot of people remember. And uh, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to us tonight. Well, it's my pleasure and I love talking about it. You know, they always sing that Glory Springsteen. I'm a Springsteen fan or a cult fan and uh, his, his, his music has always been a lot good. That song, Glory Days, you know, I had a friend who was a big football player. <laughs> That's what they sing to me, but, but I love it. It was it was a wonderful time, and uh, we're all still friends, and, uh, you know, I've got stories that I could tell more on podcasts about LT and MJ and, you know, Matt and James and, uh, and Jack Nicholas. I, you know, you heard the names, and, uh, and then there's some stories I can't tell you, but I always love talking about it, so if ever... I can be of help again. Uh, you guys are doing a great job in bringing Carolina sports back to the top. University national champion, 
and uh, we're proud of what you do, so keep doing a great job. Go Tar Heels. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll definitely have you on again to talk about some of those great memories because me being a Giants fan, I definitely want to hear a lot about LT, <laughs> especially when he was at Carolina. I That's, that's one of my guys. So, uh, yeah, no, we'll definitely have you on for now, though. Stay safe, and, uh, okay. you know, we'll, we'll, we're all going to get through this together. But uh, my best wishes to you and your family, and, uh, yeah, we look forward to talking to you again, okay? Okay, brother. Keep the faith. Be safe. Take all care. right. All right, former Tar Heel quarterback Scott Stankavich. Wow, that was just awesome, guys. Um, and you know, we, we love that we're able to get on some of these guys that that were back. That, you know, during the '80s, um, we're even going back further. Actually, tomorrow now for you guys, it'll be uh, a couple of days down the line. But we're going back into the '70s. James Betterson is actually going to be on with us. Um, so yeah, we're, I mean, that's the thing. We're we're not only. I know that when we did this interview series, a lot of the guys at the start are are really guys that were there um, more recently. But look, we're trying to throw it back to, you know, some of the guys that were there even, you know, in in, in the early 80s, uh, even if we can go back even further. Um, I know that I've reached out to some of the guys that were on the team in the late 60s that are still around right now. Uh, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get these stories out to you, uh, live, you know, go, go back and, and relive some of these memories for some of you guys that listen to the podcast and for some of you that are around the same age as me, you get to listen to, you know, interviews with great Tar Heels that maybe you didn't know a whole lot about and, and learn about some of these other guys that were really, really good players, but that just don't get that same sort of run that some of these other guys, like an LT or, you know, like an Amos Lawrence, guys like that get. Um, but that was fantastic. Thank you so much for st- uh, for stopping by, um, Scott Stankavich. That was phenomenal. Um, and of course, uh, you guys, uh, we're, we're, we're keeping you up to date on everything that's going on. Uh, over on the Heel Tough blog website, everything that's going on now with the team. Um, you guys can go over there, check it out. Of course, these are uh, pre-recorded well in advance, so uh, we're not going to point out any specifics on the website, but we've had you covered all offseason with all the recruiting stuff, all the team news, anything going on with the COVID-19 um, in terms of the timeline for when the team's going to come back and everything like that. Same thing with basketball. We've had you covered with all of that as well as we've been walking you through the offseason, uh, kind of looking back at the 2000 2019-20 season, getting you ready with all the recruiting stuff, and then once the team takes the floor for the 2020-21 season, we'll have you covered there. For baseball, we will be back with you guys when the 2021 season begins, Uh, so make sure that you guys are following along with that, Um, and then uh, we'll we'll bring you, uh, at one time, uh, we'll be covering three sports at a time, so make sure that uh, you guys are... uh, Subscribe to the mailing list for the Heel Tough blog uh, website. Uh, you guys can, uh, if if you join as a member as well, whenever the thing, uh, whenever our blog goes live uh, whenever we put a new article online. You guys can check it out immediately. Also, of course, uh, we encourage you guys to head over to the Facebook, Twitter pages, like uh, or follow those. Uh, as a uh, regard, as in regards to the podcast, make sure that you guys like. Uh, review and subscribe to the podcast. And again, we want you to do that. The rate and review part uh, really is just so that we can sort of move up some of the rankings on uh, places like iTunes and Google Podcasts so that other people can find this podcast. Because when they search North Carolina Tar Heels podcast, there are so many. So we want people to be able to find these great interviews, all the great stuff that we're going to have for you during the season. So if you guys could rate and review the podcast, we'd really appreciate that. Also, when you subscribe, that makes sure that 
that you are subscribed so that you don't miss any more of the interviews that we're going to have coming up. Uh, of course, uh, we're, store, we're, we're starting to get towards the end of them that we've got scheduled, but it's not like we're going to stop trying to reach out to guys. We are going to do our best to try to get as many guys on as we can during this time so that uh, we can have all these great interviews, any all these great interviews, excuse me, for you guys to listen to. So, once again, want to thank Scott Stankavich for stopping by. I want to thank you guys for listening and as always, go Tar Heels! <laughs>